the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of service and ministry in our midst. And as the spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Join us as we strive to live the theme of Charles Wesley's great Kingswood hymn, Unite the Two So Long Disjoined, Learning and Vital Piety. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, we come to the end of a summer season in the Northeast. Summer is the season for being, and for us of snow and ice and of cold and wind and of dark and deep with winter around the bend. Summer is the time when we bask in the sun, in the light, and in the warmth of life. Summer opens up chances for communion with nature, friends, spirit, family, soul. We commend this season and honor its passing, for summer brings a moment for meditation. We pause in meditation silently to confess our sins as the choir sings our traditional Kyrie. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Beloved, if we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. 
lesson from the Epistle of James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with the bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 19 responsively with the antiphon. heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. As you are able, please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering 
and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We will interpret the same passage again next week, then from a more theological and today from a more ethical perspective. Earlier in the summer, on the dock, after a swim, four generations of us gathered together. The prospects for the autumn did creep our way, including some serious issues of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are reasons why we tend to avoid art, politics, and religion in close company and conversation. Our family, as most, harbors many perspectives and and viewpoints and philosophies. And how the following interchange arose, I'm not sure, but the immediate context has disappeared from my memory. Though I did find myself saying, well, if it is the Bible we're talking about, there is no more central theme in the whole of Scripture than the theme of economic justice. Biblical teaching is never very far from social justice. A mother-in-law voice piped up and said, this is a famous two-word sentence, prove it. Don't you love family gatherings? Well, I replied, when we go home, let's read through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. There, among other things stewardship related, the apostle prays that those who have much might not have too much, those who have little might not have too little. That got me off the cliff, but only briefly. Two nights later, the aforementioned dear relative over pizza and a a family and friends gathering plunked down a paper and pen. Second Corinthians was good, but I need more. Right, she said. So, over pizza, while others savored, I wrote out a midterm exam essay on economic and social justice in the Bible. By the way, one of the guests was a Syracuse University 1940s alumnus who remembered that once Syracuse University teams were known as the Saltine Warriors, and then as the Orange, and now as the Cuse, which, as he said, as an elderly alumnus, makes me an ex-Cuse. Other happy moments also came and went, but I could not indulge, for I had no ex-Cuse. I had an exam to write. I finished, handed in my blue book as dessert was served. Thank you, she said. Behind every great man, there is a surprised mother-in-law. But in this case, behind this supremely faithful mother-in-law is a grateful son-in-law. Some days later, summer, as we said, providing ampler space for actual thought, I thought that she might not be the only person coming toward this autumn who had such a question. Let us assume a shared love of scripture. Let us assume a deep, deep reverence for scripture and a sense of scripture's authority in some sense. Your preacher has just asserted that there is no more pervasive, prevalent, powerful, repeated biblical theme, Genesis to Revelation, than that of justice. When we pray, spend, give, choose, are we homine unius libri, people of one book, the Bible? And if so, we should then be hearing and heeding such teaching, should we not? But, as the aforementioned question poses, is it true? Does the Bible enjoin human economic justice? Is Paul's epigram, those who have much, not too much, those who have little, not too little, central and typical of the scripture? 
Your mind might revert to newscasts and newsprint and let us confess it sermons too recently in which people who are ostensibly very biblical argue otherwise. The poor you have always with you. Let him who does not work not eat. Consider the lilies of the field. Be subject to the governing authorities and other verses so. If the Bible is so pronouncedly in favor of justice, economic justice, the protection of the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the lame, why are so many biblical people happily content today with 20 million unemployed? Why then are there so many biblical people comfortable with lack of health care for poor children? Why are so many lovers of the Bible at ease with underperforming urban education? Why are so many who with John Wesley would like to be people of one book at home with, neglect of the elderly, willing to accept surging inequality in wealth and income with 1% of the population holding 20% of the income and 30% of the wealth, with defunding and defanging the inherited protections of the common good, the common wealth. If the Bible preaches a commonwealth, why is affirmation of a commonwealth so uncommon among supposedly biblical people? If this is such a biblical nation, why have we so little comprehension of the Bible? Have we grown deaf to Mark 8? I had a dear friend, a home builder, a great person and person of faith who had only an eighth grade education who once took me aside and said quietly, Bob, I'm glad some of these people read the Bible, but I think these people read the Bible who read it, read it wrong. So you say you have a respect for the Bible. I do too. Then let us try to read it right with regard to justice. Let us read it together today. Let us read together the books of the law with which the Bible begins. As anyone who's ever attended a Seder meal will know and remember, these books are redundantly attentive to the needs of the poor. The general theme is this. Remember the widow. Remember the orphan. Remember the stranger. Remember the foreigner. Let your fields be gleaned. For you once were slaves yourself in Egypt. Exodus 23, 9. You shall not oppress a stranger. You know the heart of the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. The Hebrew scripture, our Older Testament, was largely composed in the dark days of a later sl slavery, the bondage of Babylon. In that moment of memory, the community of faith recalled keenly their earliest history of God's love and power, the God who brought them up out of the land of slavery to the land of milk and honey. We know what it means to be poor, oppressed, outcast, downtrodden. Once we were ourselves, therefore, there will be justice in our land for the poor. You and you all may need to search your extended family histories and memories for what happened to your own people in the Great Depression of the 1930s. We learned something or remind, were reminded of something then, as were the Israelites dragged again in chains to Babylon. Let us read together the books of the prophets, the very heart of the Old Testament. 
In all of religious literature, and all of human history, there is nothing quite as sobering, as piercingly and stingingly direct with regard to justice as these 16 voices, four the louder and 12 the lesser. Malachi teaches tithing. Isaiah affirms holiness. Hosea preaches love. Micah shouts, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Together, the prophets consistently rail against human greed, selfishness, covetousness, and apathy. The harvest here for our theme is so plentiful, it's difficult to choose just one example. There are so many. Perhaps, though, Amos will do best. In the 8th century BCE, a shepherd boy from Tekoa went down to the gates of the big city, Jerusalem, and cried out against it. He pilloried the shallow religion of his day. He assaulted the reliance, the naive over-reliance of his government on weapons of war. He bitterly chastised the amoral, post-moral practices of human sexuality of his day. Beginning, isn't it to sound familiar? But he saved his real anger for injustice. The Bible trumpets justice, economic justice, for the poor and for all. If all we had were the poetry of that shepherd boy from Tekoa, Amos alone would be sufficient. Thus says the Lord, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. They that trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Amos 2. Hear this, you cows of Bashan, who oppress the poor, crush the needy, say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Amos 4. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down as waters and righteousness as an ever-flowing stream. Remember Marsh Congregation, Martin King reciting these verses down in the sweltering little jailhouse in Birmingham, Alabama. Let us read together the books of wisdom. Love is for the wise and justice is the skeleton of love. When the just are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. The just man knows the rights of the poor, Proverbs 29. Because the poor are despoiled, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in safety for which he longs, Psalm 11. You who would confound the plans of the poor, Remember, the Lord is his refuge, Psalm 14. In an odd way, the most sobering judgment about justice is offered by Ecclesiastes, who speaks least directly to the theme, but his philosophy is crystal clear. He says, I look at all the toil of the sons of men, and what do I see? Vanity. That for which you strive will not last, that for which you suffer will not endure. Or as Ecclesiastes 2 puts it, What has a man for all the toil and strain with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of pain and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his mind does not rest. As an Indian proverb put it, 
In his lifetime, the goose lords it over the mushroom, but in the end, they are both served up on the same platter. 700 funerals and memorials later, here each one a reminder. Justice lasts when much else does not. Let us read together the familiar passages of the Gospels. Say, Matthew, give to him who begs from you and do not refuse. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So sell what you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. Do you begrudge me my generosity? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Woe to you who tithe mint and cumin and dill and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Or Luke. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of, he of heaven. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so said Zacchaeus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. My old district superintendent, Bill Swales, stood in the basement of a little church in Ithaca, New York, as our congregation struggled with the budget. He commended the debate by saying, you know, Jesus spoke more about money than about anything else. You think not? Think about the parables you remember, sowing and reaping, a poor man left in a Jericho ditch, a lost and precious coin, a son gone to the pigs, if not to the dogs, a wily, dishonest steward, workers and vineyards and paychecks and all, someone whose own debt is forgiven, not forgiving others, talents used and wasted, a rich man with many possessions. For reasons earthly and heavenly, Jesus preached against the abuse of riches, against the injury of the poor, against the love of money for its own sake, against the accumulation of needless treasure. Let us read again the caution of the apocalypse, the warning of the Bible's conclusion. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And let us read the admonition of the epistles. One who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And as we began, so we end with the advice of the teaching of the apostle to the Gentiles, 2 Corinthians 8. 
He who gathered much had nothing over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And an invitation, a cyber altar call this Sunday. Those listening from afar may respond by email rahillbu.edu about this Sunday's sermon or the next. What surprises you? What questions do you raise? What observation do you make? Mark Twain was a realist. He had a way of saying things memorable and humorous. He said once, he pointed to the serene confidence a Christian feels in four aces. He quipped, nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. He advised, put all your eggs in one basket, but watch that basket. And he said, a classic is a book which people praise but do not read. But he also said, it is not the things in the Bible I do not understand that bother me. It is the things I do understand that bother me. We understand this. There is no more central theme in the whole of scripture than the theme of economic justice. Real religion in the Bible is never very far from social justice. Let him who has much have not have too much and him who has little not have too little. Amen. As we gather as a community to bring our prayers to God, I invite you to remain seated or stand or kneel or come to the altar rail if it is your tradition to do so. Let us join in the singing of our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
Almighty and everlasting God, we come before you this morning with our minds full, full of concern for our world, our church, our families, our friends, and our neighbors, but also full of concern for the tasks of the day and the work we have to do, the things we have left undone. We are overwhelmed by the distractions and anxieties, and sometimes it's difficult to know what words to pray in the midst of the cacophony that surrounds us. But Lord, we know that you are always more ready to hear than we to pray, and you are always more giving than we either desire or deserve. Calm our minds this morning so that we can hear the prayers that are on our hearts and bring them to you. God, you know us and call us each by name. We pray for ourselves this morning. We need your light to break through the cloud of sin and anxiety that surrounds us. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things which we are afraid to confess and freeing us from those things which we are afraid to give up. Grant us rest and stillness so that in the quiet we may hear your voice, which calls us to feel your peace and share that peace with the world. God, you are Lord of the Sabbath. We pray for those around us who are seeking rest. Bless those taking vacations, sabbaticals, or who just need a day off, that they may feel renewed and refreshed for the work that lies ahead. Bless those who are seeking work, bless those who are retired, and bless those who are unable to work. May all find a rhythm of life that gives satisfaction. God, we pray especially this morning for those who cannot take rest. Grant them your peace, which surpasses human understanding, even as we ask forgiveness that our needs and our desires force others to work without rest. God, you rested after all the work of your creation, but we often do not give that same rest to your creation, and we subject the work of your hands to ceaselessly in order to fill our desires and needs. Help restore in us and in all of creation a healthier rhythm of life in which we do not take more than we give, we do not desire more than we need, and we do not use what cannot be replenished. And God, when our minds and even our hearts have run out of things to say, we are grateful that your Son has given us words to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel once again this Sunday morning. We would invite you to uh, take a look at the red book found along the center aisle of each pew to put your name and contact information there so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know each other better throughout the coming week. We take great delight this morning in introducing our newest chapel associate here at Marsh Chapel, Miss Jessica Chica. Uh, who is uh, joining us in partnership with the Lutheran Ministry in the Fenway. Uh, she is Chapel Associate for Lutheran Ministry here at Boston University, and we look forward to greeting her on Tuesday evening at 5.30 p.m. in the Thurman Room. Particularly if you are from the Lutheran tradition, we hope you will join us then. We hope you'll take a look at all of our upcoming services and activities found in the term book, which you can receive as you leave the service today, along with Marsh Chapstick. Uh, coming in multiple flavors. Uh, we hope that will enrich your life uh, throughout the coming week. Uh, the term book is also available uh, for download on the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, along with the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we would invite you to meditate upon Excuse the word. Excuse me, Brother Larry? Yes, Robbie. It's good to see you this morning. Dear friends at Marsh Chapel, allow me to introduce our new Marsh Associate for LGBTQ Ministry, Mr. Robert Lucchese. What can I do for you, Robbie? Well, as you just said, I'm new here, and I'm just trying to make sure I've got all of this straight. The Gloria comes after the psalm and before the gospel, right? Yes, precisely. Uh, you're catching on very quickly to our liturgical customs here at Marsh Chapel, Robbie. Great. Just one more question. Go for it. Why? Why? What do you mean, why? Well, why does the Gloria come after the psalm and before the gospel? Ah, I see. Yes, of course. Uh, I'm glad you asked that, Robbie. I am sure many folks here at Marsh Chapel are wondering why we do what we do of a Sunday morning. In fact, we have a new community offering this academic year to address just such concerns. Following the service today, we invite those who are interested to join us for Why Do We Do This? A monthly discussion of why we do what we do liturgically here at Marsh Chapel. We will be in Robinson Chapel at 12.30 p.m. following coffee hour. Do join us. Thanks, Brother Larry. I look forward to learning more. You're most welcome, Robbie. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Johannes Brahms' setting of Deuteronomy 4, 8 through 9, Wo ist ein so herrlich Volk. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
our unity, integrity, wisdom. You invite us to trust in your provision. So bless and multiply these offerings, we pray, that we who give them and all who receive them may be nourished and strengthened in the life of faith to our courage and to your glory and honor. Amen. sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes God's hand to you, the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. Amen.